0: Welcome back to week five of social justice. It's going to be our second one looking at the poor specifically. And then I think we'll probably be moving on to less controversial waters next week. We'll start talking about race. It's a joke. I've had to build you up a little bit before we get to that stuff. Today we're just going to look at two passages. Uh, And I got a list of questions there. I'll let you guide that discussion because we won't have time for all of them. And, uh, again, this series, even though it's 11 weeks long, it's never gonna hit all the issues. It's probably just gonna unearth more questions than it answers, which is fine. We can hit more in Sunday school, or you can be discussing them as in your community groups, your families, all your friendships. Uh, for social justice news of the week, seems like when you teach on something, you're more sensitive to those topics maybe. Uh, the 25th anniversary of the OJ Simpson card chase, there was all sorts of talk. Um, and one of the big aspects of that whole trial obviously was race and a racist cop at least comments racist comments by a cop and um, you know the, the accusations that the race was overplayed uh, and then they, of course the lawyers admitted to that later um, but similar to like the Trayvon Martin type of uh, shootings you had a complete different reaction in the white and black communities I don't know about my, other minorities but that, that, those were the contrasts everybody talked about this week. Before the evidence is out, before we really know, there's a complete assumptions one way or the other. And just, you know, we're going to dive into some of that in the coming weeks. Uh, I talked about the Southern Baptist Convention last week had dealt with issues specifically about social justice. Um, this week there was a lot of talk on the fallout on gender equality type of issues and women's roles in the church, which was interesting because... Southern Baptists have, they're very strong in their statement on no pastors, women being pastors. It's not so clear on if they can preach, if they could be the president of the SBC, things like that. And so, even very conservative denominations like the Southern Baptists are wrestling with some of these issues. And it's interesting to me, one of my big questions in this whole topic is, how do maybe these issues relate? Do they relate? Can we just come to the Bible and say, oh, Bible doesn't deal with that issue? Uh, it deals with this issue, here's the answer, or do they all come as a big train? Which a lot of guys way over here think, once you bend on one, you know, it's a slippery slope, and you're just going to accept everything. And so I've been trying to think through that, and it seems there, aren't, there are some scriptures where people will turn, say, Galatians 3, it talks about there's no more Jew or Gentile, slave or free men or women, and so people will say, well, we've already bended in a sense, or we've we progress, they might say, or we've, we've rethought through what it means to be a slave and what it means to be free. Right? Like we're all against slavery. And they weren't back then. Well, so maybe we need to rethink, maybe it's a cultural aspect about male and female. Things like that. And we'll talk about that specific issue in the future. Uh, I think if nothing else, in my own mind, it's not that I'm, you know, I obviously wanted to stand, stand firm on where the Bible's at. And every time I hear something, I want to, I want to think through that grid, but I, I do find myself even on, on there's issues I've never been sure of. There's other issues I feel stronger on, like complementarianism. But even even on those issues, I find myself giving it giving it a shot, right? Let's listen. I just find myself listening more. And obviously, if you're firm on your positions, the more you listen, the more your positions can change, right? Your your good positions you you could be swayed off of them. So there's a danger but you're also stuck in your wrong decisions if you don't listen, right? And so we want, to, we want to be people of the book, sola scriptura. We want to have confidence in our Bibles. When Paul said in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's, it's like in Mars Hill. He's not ashamed to bring the gospel into the marketplace of ideas, into this whole social justice arena, and you know, let's keep examining the Bible. Let's not be afraid of examining things. Maybe there are things about our faith that we'll find aren't so biblical, they're more cultural. Some conservative, cultural America, you know, 21st century. And other things we need to be not ashamed of what the Bible says. Maybe it feels wrong. It feels wrong to have gender differences. And yet we see that in the Bible, so we're going to stand firm by faith and accept it. And so I would encourage you to listen, to try to find out what people mean by certain words. We've been talking about that, to be culturally conversant. Be passively sensitive to what their motives might be. And also challenge your own heart. Where, where do I have solid biblical evidence and where don't I? And also, where am I holding to something theologically true? And yet my heart, I'm, I'm kind of using that to defend my own self-righteous heart. So I, had, I experienced that this week. So last week I said I was going to talk about the Good Samaritan this week. So Terry Anderson was very kind and, and offered me up all these things that she teaches to women's conferences around the world. Around the world. Around the country. She's not that big yet. Maybe she'll get there. So part of me was really excited. Terry's reputation as a teacher precedes her, and I was excited to see the notes because I didn't want to do my own study anyway. But I, I have to be honest. There was, there was just a part of me that was like, women's conferences? Really? I'm going I'm to deal with notes from a women's conference? And so... I just had, there was this real sexist attitude I had to repent of. And I talked to Terry about it this week. But I'm, I'm a strong complementarian. I think that's where the Bible stands. That There are different roles for women and women. There are different gifts. And yet I can stand on that platform and hide a, an attitude in my heart. And that's one thing I really want us to just become vulnerable. Uh, let, let the Spirit through the Word work in our hearts. Are there areas? Are there areas in the poor? You might have great logical arguments about not wanting to enable people. Um, I only have so much time. I have priorities in my life. Is it possible in that very logical, very sound argument, you're really just a Pharisee, being very true on paper, and yet God wants to do something in your heart? And so that's that's a big thing I want us to get to. I had a friend of mine told me this week, that as you sit and listen, as I'm starting to listen to podcasts of people I just totally disagree with. But I'm trying to understand their logic and their premises. And and so you, you have to be very patient. You have to wade through all sorts of stuff and, and just try not to throw it all out. And I'm looking for those golden nuggets that I can understand. If nothing else, I want to be able to converse on them. But I'm also open to seeing if my understanding of the Bible is a little off. So with that, who wants to pray? The volunteers? Dear Father, thank you for a chance to
1: uh, look at these important issues in light of your word. I pray, Lord, that there would be people who would be led wherever you would have us to go by
2: what you've given to us in Jesus'
0: name. Amen. Alright, so for those that are new, we've been looking at some extremes that we want to stay away from. On the left side of the board here, I call it Works Without Faith. We're talking about social gospel. We're talking about a lot of the secular social justice issues social justice warrior, people who don't really have a biblical frame at all, and they're just going to grab whatever their desire is, whatever their issue is, and call it social justice and force it on everyone else. They can be violent, they can be extreme. We even have people in the church that are saying, if you don't agree with me on this policy, on this issue, I don't want to have fellowship with you. So trying to define that line where we've gone too far. There's worldly philosophies at play that we need to be aware of. On the other extreme, we could have faith without works. We can have a bold, uh, orthodox doctrine that don't don't care about people. And then, of course, you're not really orthodox. <laughs> so, and then in the middle, we have evangelicals of all stripes, and people are going to disagree on, they care more about social justice issues, they like the term, other people don't like the term. Uh, they care about specific policies, they care about, this side of the board would tend to do more organizational things, this would keep it more in the individual responsibility realm. Um, Things like that. Uh, Last week, we talked about some principles of the poor. Leviticus 19, kind of the gleaning laws where people who own crops were supposed to leave certain amounts of it uh, on the edges or every seventh year, leave it for the poor and the sojourner to work the land. And so you were able to give in proportion to your abundance, right? If you didn't own a field, there was no requirement for you to provide. Uh, It made the poor work for it. And so it wasn't just a handout. And so there's, there's something there for those who are worried about enabling folks. We also couldn't do total protection against those who are only those who are deserving and righteous, right? Anybody could come along and work that land. And so you, you were, and by nature of being generous and giving to the needy, some of your crumbs are going to fall to those who are not needy. And that's just the reality of being generous. We started asking the question, uh, who are the poor? So the scriptures talk about the poor as those who are truly desolate, truly have, they can't eat, they're naked, they're homeless, um, they are truly needy. And so when we look at our modern rich society, we, certainly there are those who meet that category. I'm, I, th- I felt like when I listened last week, I, I maybe downplayed that too much. Certainly those that meet that, but there are, we've got to be honest, in all of history and all of the globe, that group of people are mostly somewhere else. And so the question is, do we give our money to the truly needy, the truly lowest, those who make, you know, a dollar a month kind of thing? Saw something in India uh, about India this week, and some of you know more about this, than I doctors living on $2 a day in areas, I mean, or $2 a month, it's crazy in our world to think that way. We are all very rich in this room, very, very rich, and it's hard to think of ourselves that way because we know someone who's richer than us, right? Um... And so do we give our money and our attention to them, or do we give it to those who are in our society, however you define that, our city, our state, our country, who are at the lower rung? Even though that lower rung is above everyone else in the world, is that where we're supposed to focus? And that, today's passage will help us continue to talk about that. So can you turn to Luke 10, and can someone please read verses 29 to 37 for me?
1: But, desire, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, "And who is my neighbor?" Jesus replied, "A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by a chance, a priest was going down the road, down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levi when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he sought him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The man who showed him mercy. And Jesus
0: said to him, You go and do likewise. All right, so Jesus is at, he says to love your neighbor, and he's asked a very valid question well, Who's my neighbor? Sounds like a very biblical question. All this. Pretty clear this wasn't really asked with right motives, right? This sounds like someone who's, eh, who was, geez, who was my neighbor, really? You know, almost like trying to use the Bible to, to wiggle out of something. And that, I get, that's something I'm concerned about in all this, is how much are we going to use our Bibles and our knowledge of the Bible? And as we're, as we're, as we're challenged with caring for others, as we're challenged with working for justice and equality, how, just examine your own heart, no matter what the positions are, no matter what the Bible actually says. As I read through those dozens and dozens of verses last week about the poor, how much were you in your in your heart saying, yeah, but, yeah, but well, that's Old Testament, or, I mean, how much are you just immediately defensive, like, this might touch my life? That's a serious question we need to ask ourselves. Because if we're honest, we're, we're usually our motives are very mixed. There's very good, there's very solid reasons, and 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 if we just let things be binary, we're going to immediately th- not let the Spirit work in our hearts as we do this. So we need to ask, who is our neighbor? Uh, and this, some of these things come right from Terry's notes, they're very helpful. Um, the, these priests, these Levites were coming from Jerusalem to Jericho, so it seems that many of these were probably living out in you know, smaller towns. Traveling to Jerusalem to perform their ritual duties, and they're probably on their way home. So, in a sense, these guys are coming home from church. Right? They're preaching about justice and righteousness and the goodness of God to oppress people, and they're walking by a guy and just passing right by him, walking to the other side, avoiding someone truly in need. They're certainly commuters, and that isn't that true in our own life. We we kind of live in our in our neighborhoods, right? Our gated communities for some of us, right? and we you know we're going to go travel to work uh we'll we'll go travel to our friends we'll travel to our church um you know certainly our church and our families and our our friends we get to choose a bit and they're, they're like us it's it's kind of a safe place to be we get to know two or three neighbors around us in our neighborhood at work maybe there's a few people we have to deal with that we wouldn't want to but we we kind of get to know each other but we kind of live a lot of our lives in safe spaces in a sense right that, Things that we choose, things we can develop. It's sometimes maybe it's on these roads, these traveling from arena to arena, that God's going to kind of put someone in your path, right? You're—it's you're, not. In a sense, the neighbor is someone who you do run into, you, you you do come upon by chance. It says the priest came by chance, and when he saw him, so it wasn't someone he was planning to go to, but it's kind of outside of your normal circles. Sometimes it's, it's in these areas that, that God's gonna maybe surprise you. Maybe we need to have our eyes opened and, and ready for it. And it wasn't just someone they wouldn't normally associate with. The Jews and Samaritans hated each other, right? They had good reasons to not like each other and to not get along and some bad reasons. And yet, the neighbor in the end turns out to be the Samaritan. So verse 37, we find that being a neighbor, it's, it's, it's who you, It can be anybody who you really run into, and it's ultimately who you show mercy to. It's really defined by an action a lot more than a relationship. So God puts people in our path. Are we going to be obedient to that call to be a neighbor, to show mercy? We don't know if the man was worthy, right? Maybe he was a real fool to ignore warnings of the thieves that are on this road. Maybe he was flaunting his wealth as he walked. As far as the Samaritan knew, maybe he was attacked uh, in self-defense. Maybe he attacked them, and they attacked him back. He didn't know. There were no conditions for the help he gave. There's no guarantee he would survive, much less pay him back any money. Really, we think about it. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. This guy was a burden to whoever passed by. It's only a burden if you expected to do something else, all right? If you expected to spend your money or your time on somebody else or something else that day, then it's a burden. But if we look at life as those who believe in a sovereign God, understanding that all we have is of him, And it's just God revealing to us, well, this is what I want you to do today. This is what I want you to do with that money. You had other plans, but I have these plans. Wouldn't that be a a freeing way to walk through life? You know, to live as Christ and to die as gain. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But don't take 10 minutes out of my schedule, right? We're those kind of people. We need to repent to that. I've not always done this, but there, there have been times when, you know, if someone alongside the road asks me for money and you get in that quandary you're like, mm, I don't want to enable you. You've got a beer can sitting right there, you know, but I want to give. I want to protect my heart. So sometimes I'll just say, all right, there's another $20 going on the deacon plate this week, right? Because I don't want to, I don't want to use good logic to, to defend a hard heart, right? I want to watch myself. Um, so as we look at this passage in context of what we're talking about today, number one the proximity principle we are held responsible more for those who are closer to us right in proximity so these guys happen along they didn't go look for him they were responsible for some guy beat up by thieves four passes down right he was right in front of them. there's some expectation there to take care of somebody so just people in your life in Luke 16 we hear about the rich man at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores so the rich man had a, he was a poor man right at his gate every day. He saw him every day. He couldn't avoid him. He's held responsible for that. In our own families were held responsible. First Timothy 5, honor widows who are truly widows. This is to the church. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and make them, to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever, but refused to enroll younger widows. So I would have younger widows, marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that maybe care for those who are truly widows. That's why there's so much talk in the Bible about the fatherless and the widow. Because people with a spouse and with parents, that's where the care should come from. And I don't know what the deacons do here, but I imagine if it would work, if someone really came and needed help and they had a family, maybe one thing you would do is go work with that family, right, to get them to care for them. I don't know. I've not been in that position. In Acts 6, when we see the first deacons that were appointed, they were specifically appointed because there was an issue of the widows not being served. And so that's when the deacons kicked in, and the church kicks in in a special way. We've talked about the church, the household of faith, um, especially to those who are the household of faith. The church, our church family is a priority. And then eventually we go outside the walls of the church. And how far we go kind of takes some wisdom, and that's some of the things we're talking about. So our neighbor can be anybody. It's not necessarily those in your circle. It's not really your physical neighbor in your neighborhood. It can be anybody you're in contact with. And then ask that question about the church at Spring Meadows. Who's our neighbor? Is that a fair question? I mean, that, In my mind, that's what's really behind getting a, a local property, right? We're, we're gonna be a physical, visible presence somewhere. Right now we kinda hide out, right? The school doesn't know we're here. Except a couple teachers who don't like us using their boards, right? <laughs> Maybe we've had a little chance to be neighbors to the school here, to Joe, the custodian, for sure. Um but we're we're gonna have a property now. People are gonna know there's a church, there's gonna be a sign we're gonna come and go. That that is a a scary idea in a sense. There's 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 an increase of responsibility for our body that's about to happen. What what is it gonna mean for our church to be a neighbor where we're at? We're gonna hit that hard the last two weeks. Gospel motivation. It's interesting. uh, Jesus could have had the Samaritan. Being the one that was beat up, and the Jews needed to care for him. But it was a Jew that was beat up, and the Samaritan had to care for him. So Jesus put the Jews, the privileged, the, the, the partakers of the gospel, right? The, the sons of God. He put them in the position of being needy and oppressed. And that's how we get our gospel motivation. Deuteronomy 10 there talks about it talks about circumcising your heart and then caring for the poor and the sojourner and the widow. And so we, we need a work done in us before we can really care for others. And we need to see ourselves as he was trying to get the Jews to see. Jesus is the, is the, the second Adam. He's the real man that comes in this world, sees us as needy, needy people, not deserving at all. And he, Jesus is the good neighbor. <laughs> Jesus is the one that has cared for us. He's gone the extra mile. He's gone way above and beyond uh, anything we deserved. He's given us total care. And it's out, of, it's out of that understanding. The Jews were often told, you were once sojourners in Egypt. That's why you care about the sojourner in your midst. We are those who needed a good neighbor, who came to us and gave us what we needed. And it's out of that motivation that we go and care for others. And the third one is there's just comprehensive care. It was by chance that this guy came across, the Samaritan came across this guy, but he didn't stop there. He didn't just give him initial relief. Right? He he took them to somewhere and he, he followed up with them and he, he kept giving and giving. He went all in. God has put this neighbor in my life. I'm going all in. This is my priority for this season of my life. Like in Acts 4, as the church cares for each other, they, they were all in. They they sold their properties. They They did everything for each other. Food and drink, clothing, shelter, welcoming and visiting, medical care. And so... The question I asked last week about where do our priorities go? Do we give to those who are truly at some, below some threshold care of need in the world? Or do we give to those in our midst? And really, Tim said last week, you're really asking who's your neighbor. So if you're gonna, if you're gonna apply this proximity principle to that question, what do you think? Who, who are we gonna give our time, our resources to? How is someone in Uganda my neighbor? As opposed to someone I might walk out into the parking lot and see, who would be less needy than the person in Uganda? I don't know if I'm making myself clear because I have blank stares coming back at me. So where where do we prioritize? Who we give to? I
3: think you're making a really good point because it's it's hard. Like when you see people that are needy, I think for me, I think there's there's not a lot I want to do for that person. And it's a heart issue, but also I don't feel like I'm going to be helpful. So when I think about who's our neighbor that's truly needy in our proximity, I would say the unborn are the most needy, That people that we really have because they are unprotected by the law, and everyone else is sort of, there's safety nets in place. And so when I think of who in our midst has no safety net in place, I would say it's the unborn. Like, that's just my...
0: And you kind of allude to something that we could talk about later today or another week, but the whole relationship between who should be caring for the poor. Is it individuals? Is it the church? Is it the state? We live in a, a society with safety nets. They didn't, right? That's why it's so important to care for the widow and the orphan. They didn't have a safety net. And so does our is, does the society we live in change how we would approach certain people? And the Reformers had a different view, right? They had a lot more state involvement. Uh, we're a lot more church and state. I don't want to, that issue to disrupt us from what you're really saying, though. Is you're just you're going to ask yourself who are the most vulnerable, the most yeah. needy? All
3: right. It's just the nature of the place that we live, mm-hmm. like proximity-wise, is that most people are in some way cared for yeah. outside of. You can say well, at least they're living
0: already, right?
3: <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> no, they've
0: had to. Right. Of. I mean, I, I go through these same iterations. Yeah. I saw some other hands. I
4: think Hard I've questions, heard. huh? I was just going to say, I think that uh, as far as you've gone in other countries where we have missionaries and whatnot, the church as a whole or a group uh, is able to take care in some case with that. Uh, as far as your neighbor, which is anybody within your realm, different distance sort of, uh, it can be anybody and it's in your heart that you want to help them yeah. if you see a need.
0: Do you go through any kind of conscious, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to retain this amount of money to give to individually to my neighbors, and then I'm going to give a certain percent to the church to do global things like that, um, well, I think or is it more reactive? I, mean, I don't know. I'm sure each of us would answer that differently.
4: Yeah, I'm thinking the church would have a set amount, or uh, maybe that deems how many people contribute what the sum would be. Uh, but when you're doing it for just a neighbor or somebody that you see in need, you do what you can afford to do as far
0: as you can. Right, right, right. Thanks, Judy. Uh, it, it,
1: it would vary from individual to individual. I think the beauty of that is we have to adhere to the biblical principle of loving our neighbor, but it would, your, your neighbor would vary from my neighbor depending on where I live and what, uh, what I've been exposed to. For example, I'm ethnically Indian, so I have roots in India. So, in that sense, I have neighbors in India, you know, that, that I'm involved in their lives, albeit removed several thousand miles. But I also live here in America, and I have neighbors here in my neighborhood, and uh, the Lord is doing His work in me in my family To reach out to those uh, locally and not just international. So it really, again, it goes back to prayer too. Be in prayer, you know, searching scriptures, and and you may go through seasons in life where you may end up reaching to certain neighbors, and the Lord might may take that away. You may end up reaching to other neighbors. Sure. That that's totally fine as long as you're biblical and you're certain. You're seeking to do the Lord's will through prayer and being in His word. Right. right. Yeah. Something I'd never noticed
5: before, uh, when we read the or the parable of the Good Samaritan was read, was that the Samaritan left uh, the, the injured person in the care of the innkeeper and then offered to pay. Mm-hmm. And just he didn't do the comprehensive care. Right. Because you can't always.
0: He wasn't necessarily qualified to do that, right? Right.
5: Devotion is to come. sometimes people get intimidated of thinking, "Well, I want to help this person. Do I bring them into my home to live right. and then take care of all their right. needs?" And it can get overwhelmed. And then you sort of paralysis, or, yeah, paralysis by analysis, and do
4: nothing. Yeah.
0: Well, and one of the discussions among these guys is. More to the left here, they're going to want to do more. This is more of the church's mission, more of the church's priority. And these guys will say, but what is the church competent at? And so, you know, do, do pastors and seminaries need to be trained in socioeconomic theory to understand these things? Or is there a point at which we want to care for them, but we're going to find those people and organizations that are equipped to do that and we support them, right? More of a parachurch. Maybe an organization or a secular organization. And we're definitely going to talk about that. All right, let's keep moving. And then we can still answer some of these if you want. Um, I don't want to read all this. I don't think we have time. But Isaiah 58, um, essentially, you know, he's declaring to my people their transgressions, the house of sins. You seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness that did not forsake the judgment of the God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. And yet, behold, the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure, you oppress all your workers. Um, and so basically, these are people who are living their lives in an unrighteous, oppressive way and coming to worship God on a Saturday. For them. right? Friday, Saturday, Saturday. <laughs> Sunday for us, right? Here we are individually, not really not living out the Christian life, um, coming to church, singing God's praises, and so, it's just really hypocritical. And this is a pretty common, common, common condemnation in the Old Testament. And in verse 6 there, Isaiah 58, he says, Is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? So this kind of language, as we say, you, you want to worship me and yet you're living in this way. This is true fasting. This is true worship, is to really live out your life in a way that I've called you. And so you can see kind of the divide that might come. These, these guys would tend to say, yeah, you need to live out your faith individually. Don't be a hypocrite. But that doesn't change anything of what the church does corporately. It's just let your individual life marry what your corporate life is. Where people on this side say, see, true worship, the church's role, the community of God, not individuals, but the community, is to care for the poor and the homeless. And so people would divide this passage a little, little that way. I mean, in one sense, as I'm hearing the discussion, if we're at the point of deciding where, so we've sacrificially given, we're not caring for ourselves, we're not living in luxury on the earth, right? We're, we're caring for those around you, and we're at the point of just deciding where that money goes, that's a pretty good spot to be, right? The real challenge is setting aside that money, that time, that energy, those talents. Same thing here, if, if we can get on the same page that our individual lives need to marry up to what we confess on a Sunday, that's a good place to be. Now, where we differ inside that, exactly what that means for corporate worship, we can maybe uh, disagree with. Uh, chapter 59, verse 1, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So again, we can go through all sorts of religious ritual. We can be very, and Presbyterians are big on this. We're, we're very insistent on a right way of doing worship, a right way of doing church. Um, and that's all good and needed. But we could, it's, it's always potential to do that to the point and forget some heart matters, right? So I'm just taking these heart matters to a corporate level. Matthew 23, we may need to hear, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the way your matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought not these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So we can be real specific on our sacraments. We can make sure there's no dancing in our services, right? We could be very we could be very insistent. We're gonna defend that pulpit. Women, don't get near this pulpit, right? We're gonna be but it can be a it could be in an attitude of defensiveness. And I, I heard a podcast this week talked about what is real complementarianism. It's not defending the men and their role. It's encouraging the roles of men and women, finding those unique abilities and encouraging them and, and bringing them into the fold in every one of our individual gifts bringing in. Um, and so maybe it's just a stance. It's an attitude that at least we sound a certain way. De Young says this, clearly caring for the poor, the hungry, the afflicted is not a liberal thing to do. It is a biblical thing to do. Those of us in conservative circles can get all sorts of religious ritual right, but it counts for nothing and less than nothing if we do not love our neighbors and ourselves. So let's be honest and, and, and open our hearts a little bit. And let's, you know, let's accept some of the criticism from here that might be well founded. They have it wrong. They have the wrong sense of justice. They, they have a lot wrong. But, you know, as I said in the opening week, it, it wasn't the conservative churches who took care of Racism in this country, right? We need to look back at our history and be honest to that and, and, and be ready for the, the next big wave, whatever that might be, and yet do it in a biblical manner. So if you're required to, whatever you want to call it, acts of mercy, care for others, social justice, if you're individually required, would it be proper for the church to discipline you if you lack in that area of your life? Some of the reformers definitely thought so. Scared people. Come on. <laughs> the same thing we would do with an adulterer. If someone is failing visibly in their life, you would go to them, encourage them, you're, you're failing in this role, and eventually you would get to the point of being kicked out of the church. You're not living as a Christian. Well, however, however you would define it. I think we can accept that to live out our faith at whatever it means, whatever whatever that means in your life is to take care of the poor to the needy, the vulnerable, whatever. There, there's this heart attitude. If that's a requirement for a Christian, why wouldn't someone be open to church discipline? Stirring the pot.
4: <laughs> yeah? I'm thinking
0: Social justice is taking care of your family. He you would say what if you don't take care of the people are closest well, to you, then, uh, then you are the Exactly. Like- we just read that. Okay, let's take that example, because maybe it's something it's easier, right? I don't know where you walk on the streets and who you give and don't give to right? There's a lot. But you have a family. You clearly have a responsibility to care for your family. Paul tells Timothy that, right? And you you as a believer are not caring for your family. You've got the money. Let's say, let's, let's take out all the caveats. You've got the means. You just don't care. You don't love your family. Would that ever get to a point? Is there any scenario you could point to that said, that's going to get to the level of church discipline? Isn't that what?
4: Isn't
0: that Explain yeah. that. What? Explain that. What do you mean by the abandonment? Yeah, we, we talked about that when we talked about divorce. As far as a category, that a lot of Christians would say is abandonment, right? That you've abandoned your spouse with the grounds for divorce, and really you're treating them as an unbeliever in that. So
3: if
2: you're not caring for your
3: family financially, that's abandoning them, isn't it? I mean, that's what it would look like. In the it
0: can certainly be argued, yeah. yeah.
3: I mean, I I guess it, I think it I think it does matter what issue you're talking about because to me. Like, that's really different than, like, like I think their discipline, there could be a place for that when you completely abandon your family, taking care of them financially. But I don't know about if they're not, um, you know, caring for the poor or something,
0: because I think that those are two different things. Sure. Yeah, I don't think you can put those in the same. Sure. I mean, because for that matter, then we should discipline people who don't tithe. Right, right, you know, right. Because they're, you know, we shouldn't. Yeah. I, And obviously, maybe I muddied the waters with church. My point is, is there a real expectation? And again, I'm trying to give a lot of room on how you would carry this out. And so in that sense, it would have to be pretty extreme and obvious and clear from an objective standpoint to get to a level of church discipline. And yet, certainly at a level of one-on-one shepherding, it would be much easier to say, Brother, I don't... See you living your life at all for anybody else here, right? And that's not church discipline, but it's shepherding. It's
4: discipling. Yeah. Okay. I think a lot of it is just pure selfishness, and that uh, when people are focused more on themselves than on, you know, their maid or their children or whatever it be, is selfishness. But I. Think You know, this is what we started out with here, and I Amen. you're over here, and what about what, what's going on? I mean, can I pray for you, can I help you, or, you know, yeah. like, what do you need? Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's such a call for community, isn't it?
0: Yeah. And it's so often it's our brother or sister who's gonna notice our heart issue before we do, right? Don't like to come to me and just say, you know, I'm concerned
4: about you, you're kinda behaving in a way that's unbecoming or I don't like this about you, or you know, why don't they just have the guts just to come up to you? Yeah. Lot, yeah. Be
0: yeah. Being pastorally sensitive can be really hard. That's not just being nice. Yeah. I
4: think it's an area of fruit. Like you would, there's no church discipline for not showing the fruits of the spirit. That's where you're walking alongside somebody and encouraging them and, and praying for them, being active in their life, as we was getting at. But it's not something that you can discipline. Like you're not selfless enough. You're not
3: right. Sure.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. just want to say
5: that excommunication is the last <laughs> step. I, okay. I know, I should have made that clearer. No, it, first it is the last <laughs> of about 20 steps. And so, you, teaching Sunday school, are exercising discipline in some measure by Uh-oh. making us think about our responsibility. <laughs> so, it's like there are 20 things you do before you get to contumacy, which is a utter refusal to. After being confronted by individuals and then taken before the church, that's where they
0: that come from. Yeah, the, I guess the real <laughs> usually people are disciplined for things that are
5: flagrant, scandalous, public sin that cast dispersions upon the body of Christ. So I agree. if
4: we started disciplining everybody with sin, yeah. we're all done. <laughs> super uh, said um just wanted to uh um, that what she said because sometimes it's just the simple simple being a friend and just caring about one another everybody you hear about something that's negative in their lives or something that's hurting or whatever just reaching out and just simply to me that's what loving one another is all about just care do really we care about one another but whether it be our neighbors down the street or next door, or, or forward, or into our whoever God brings it our lives. But the bottom line is
0: examining our hearts daily, all the time. What's going on? Do we care? Yeah. Do I really care about anybody? Right, and, and that's that original, that is the gospel motivation. It's your heart attitude. But I guess what I'm also arguing for is that ought to translate in many situations into physical, something visible, something material. I mean, I'm not going to read all the verses. We, I mentioned them on the sheet last week about, you know, how can you see, how can you have the world's goods and see your brothers in need and not open your heart to them? How is that even possible? And so if, if we don't see something material flowing, can we call it care? And certainly certain situations, that's all they need is they needed your time, right? Well, that's physical. It gave them my time. And so just not, I just don't want to start at, stop at a hard attitude. You need to start there. Don't want to, we, we should be somewhat examining, do I see myself giving to others? Now, I've got a whole list of questions there, because um, we only have about six minutes, so we'll, we'll answer whatever you want to ask. Yeah?
3: I, I guess I just want to add to that. Like, I think um, in both the physical needs and kind of what we're talking about with com- confrontation and stuff, they both kind of boil down to the same issue, which is putting aside our comfort for so the love and care of other people. Yeah. Because, I mean, I think that even in how we, you know, when I was, my wheels were turning about, you know, who should we give to, what's our, who's our neighbor, and whatever, I think one of the big things that I have to think about is that you have to um, do what's natural and do it where, the, where the Holy Spirit leads you, but it's also important to not just do what makes you feel good. Because a lot of times, mm-hmm. like, the way that we give, and even with social justice issues, are in ways that gives us, like, this big boost that makes us feel so good about ourselves. We have to put that aside and think where am I needed? Like, how is my money, like, truly, you know, well invested? You know, where is my time? Um, It's not my time. It belongs to the Lord. Where is it well invested? Not just, how does it make me feel so good? And it's the same Mm. with, like, interacting with other people, and because, like, what Pastor Tim was saying, (laughs) that that excommunication is the last step. It's the all these levels of confrontation that comes before that, and being willing to confront our brother and sister involves being willing to set aside our comfort, because I can't think of anybody, (laughs) well, maybe I can, but who's comfortable confronting somebody. We need to be willing to have hard conversations. We need to be willing to say, hey, how come you can plan to spend your money in this way and plan to show up for this, but but you're not planning to give and to sacrifice? Like, we should be willing to set aside our comfort to graciously and gently have those conversations. And like Susan, Sue said, like in the spirit of love and compassion and yeah. great
0: and, and, you know, maybe we go back to our talk on marriage and singleness. Hopefully couples are encouraging one another mm-hmm. in the sense of challenging each other to give more, right? Mm-hmm. Versus Ananias and Sapphira hoarding more, right? And, and, and encourage each other in greediness. And then on the issue of singleness, we talked about how instead of jumping out and trying to find someone a spouse... How about helping them know how to manage their time? Maybe, maybe that's where a single person who doesn't have that daily interaction with someone can, you can encourage them about their giving, about their, their use of time and money and resources. Things that they could perhaps squander easier than others. And so encourage each other in the bottom. Guy. The, heart and the, force, the positive <clears throat> responsibility of the church, I believe, is to help us see that there, by God's grace, go on. Amen. The moment we start to see that the homeless person uh, holding
5: the placard or holding the cardboard, and we see them as second or apart from the safety net of the church, that could be one of my sons. thing is, we've got, we've become and I, you know, I can speak for myself. There was a season in my life where I didn't see the homeless people on the street because my heart had become so callous to them that I didn't see them. But as God started working on my heart,
2: I not only started seeing them, but then I started
0: And, and really seeing us as the guy with the placard that Jesus came and cared for, right? That was us.
1: Right? Yeah. If, if we're not being neighborly within the body of Christ, if we're not loving one another uh, as the Bible commands us, it shouldn't surprise us that we're not being neighborly outside of the body of Christ. Mm. So sometimes we have to do a hard check examining scriptures as to where we have failed as a church and where we have to grow as a church, loving each other within the body, and then out of that, there will be that love for outside of the body. It's not happening within the body. And, and that
0: functioning society in the walls of the church will naturally encourage others. It just becomes part of our psyche. right? We become those type of people. And there is an argument to say, there's only so much you can do to society, but one thing we can do in the midst of whatever we do out there is to give an example society in the church that then goes, that's filled up and has all these resources and goes outside.
2: I, I, I think for me, um, my neighbor, when I see my neighbor in need, I don't think I think scripture. I think it's a natural human response that if my neighbor is pushing her trash and she's having a problem and I say, Karen, let me push this out here for you. Those encounters should be not scripturally thinking. It should be my time in prayer and scripture should be an automatic function of my life. Now those encounters when I run with, with people on the street, I actually don't think about what that person wants. It's an opportunity for me to give them Christ. and Sometimes mm. what I do, I take that opportunity to stand still if the opportunity affords me and have a conversation with that person. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not concerned about what that person wants from me. I'm more concerned about what I can give to that person and believe that the Lord has me standing there and spending time. And Whatever comes out of that conversation comes out of that conversation. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. One last one, Barb. You got it. You can close this out.
2: Well, in paralleling
4: what, what Guy was saying, and we all agree that this is a matter of heart transformation, and our hearts need to be changed and agree more. At the same time, we have because of scripture guidelines for doing what is right. And I can't tell you how many times I will call in a situation to serve, and I'm screaming and murmuring. It's not on my list today. But as but I but I trust the Lord with that to transform me in the process and serve as I'm called to or needed or see and me and in the number of times I've been convicted on the way home from having infested out of my comfort zone, so on and so forth. So to me the heart transformation is in prayer, in service, faith without works is dead and God will do this work. So sometimes we uh, we
0: need to do what we know is right even though we know our hearts not lined up. Mm. Amen. All right. Sorry but we're out of time. Well it's
1: going to close this prayer. Father, I would thank you once again for this discussion on social justice and uh, we gather together to go into worship. I pray that uh, we can gather and hear you speak through to pastor today and worship you accordingly do your words. in the name of Jesus that I pray.
2: Amen. Amen.